Well, good evening. <clears throat> Tonight, as the, uh, the video mentioned, we're going to be going to looking at the final session of the Gospel Shaped Living Curriculum. Uh, that's going to be number seven, and it's been a joy and privilege to be able to follow along up to this point and exciting to actually get on the speaking end of it now here at the end. So excited to jump into it a little bit. But before we dive in, I wanted to uh, say a couple of observations that I've come across in preparing for this message tonight. First one being, uh, it is a lot of work to prepare a message. And so for the pastors in particular, I just want to tell them a huge thank you and tell everyone else how blessed we are to have pastors that week in and week out preserve, uh, prepare a message that is faithful to God's word and do it in a way uh, that is challenging us to live out the gospel. So I wanted to thank them for that. And um, another observation that I had in preparing for tonight was the responsibility that comes as the speaker is, is huge. To rightly divide the word of truth and to present it accurately to the listeners, but then to the listener also that responsibility as, is equally as weighty to put into practice that which is being spoken from up here, the speaker. And I don't think that's something I've really thought about much, mostly it's sitting in your shoes listening, uh, but now in prepping for this, uh, I know my perspective, my frame of mind is going to be a whole lot different going forward and, and listening to that. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to be accountable, right, for what we hear and what we do or don't put into practice if it's coming from God's word and it's being taught accurately. So just wanted to throw that out there as some initial observations. And also on a lighter note, I came across this short humorous story that also perhaps shows some more value that we should be putting on our pastors. So bear with me. Three boys were one day in the schoolyard bragging about their fathers. The first boy said, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a poem, and they give him $50. The second boy says, well, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a prescription, and they give him $100. Not to be outdone, the third boy scribbles, said, well, my dad beats all of them. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes eight people to collect all the money. So, I'm excited to open God's Word tonight, even if it only takes six people to collect our offering here. But still, uh, it's great uh, to be up here. And I just want to recap real quick the sessions uh, that we have been going through up to where I'm at tonight here. Um, it should be on the screen as well. Uh, we started with Pastor Chad, who spoke on your church, A Light in the Darkness. After that was Pastor Ron, who spoke on a united church in a divided world. Then John Leaf spoke on a serving church in a selfish world, followed by Mike Knauss, uh, a generous church in a stingy world. And then Craig Simmons spoke on a truthful church in a confused world. And two weeks ago, Davey Forrest spoke on a joyful church in a suffering world. And then I'm going to be wrapping things up tonight with how to be the church in the world. And in case any of you guys were interested in the curriculum itself, uh, I would highly recommend it, either for personal devotional, uh, group study, or for Sunday school. Uh, I don't have it up with me here tonight, but most of the folks that have gone through it do have a copy of the Leader's Guide, and 
it would definitely be something I would uh, recommend pursuing for personal or group study. Uh, before, we get go- before we get going, let's just open on a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit empowering us. Father, I thank you for the church, your bride, that would come out tonight just to be spoken to by your word. Father, I pray you would give me clarity of mind in speaking your truth clearly and effectively. Lord, I pray that we would listen to it. I pray that you would keep out any distraction that would get in the way from us receiving your word clearly. And I thank you, Lord, just for this opportunity to to get in here and to uh, just rejoice over what your word tells us. Thank you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, well, please go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians 5, chapter 25. If you didn't bring your Bible, I'd encourage you to take a Bible out of the chair in front of you, and that's going to be on page 975. The question for this session, as was presented earlier, was how can we be the church in the world? When I first, to be completely honest with you, when I first heard that topic, I thought, well, I'll just hand you guys a uh, gospel and everyone will head home for the night. Being the church in the world, you could draw a point of application almost out of every passage in the New Testament and the majority of the Old Testament. Um, But the farther I dug into it uh, and the verses that we're going to be looking at tonight, the more I kind of got an understanding that it is broken down uh, into bite-sized pieces that make up the greater uh, piece of what we're looking at tonight. So uh, we're going to be in Galatians 5.25, and I'm actually going to rephrase that question. Um, Instead of how can we be the church in the world, I'm going to ask it, how can we, the church, be a light to those around us? And it's pretty much saying the same thing, but it's just putting... Uh, emphasis on the word light and the church around us being the community. So those looking in at First Baptist Church in St. John's and what are we portraying to them with the gospel. So my first point tonight is going to be keeping in step with the Spirit. We're going to pick it up in chapter 5, verse 25, where Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone, th- if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The context of this passage is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, addressing the issues of the gospel being perverted and added to by Judaizers and even those inside the church who were saying the gospel plus, the gospel plus circumcision, the gospel plus additional laws. And and Paul is writing here and talking in the verses prior to 25 about walking in the spirit rather than the law. And he does this by contrasting the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, Pastor Tim talked a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit last week, if you'll remember. The fruit of the Spirit not being the fruit of 
Andrew, or the fruit of fill in the blank, but the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, he's contrasting here the works of what is in our flesh versus the fruit of the Holy Spirit and what he can produce in us when we're living through Christ to have that produced in us. So we have this going on um, in this particular passage and right before it uh, as well. Taking a step back in verse 25 when we say, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We have to ask ourselves our question, the question, what does it mean to be alive in the Spirit? And the easy answer to that is, well, it's justification. It's when we have accepted Christ into our life, going from death to life in terms of a spiritual well-being. Um, so that's going to be any believer that has surrendered their life to Christ. They're alive in the Spirit. Um, any Christ follower is alive in the Holy Spirit and has the power uh, enabling of the Spirit to do what is right and to please God. We all too often forget that it's the Spirit in us um, and rely on our flesh. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, The Spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. And everyone, in, in other words, every single one of us that has accepted Christ has the Holy Spirit working in us. We can't gloss over that fact. It is impossible to shine the gospel message in our lives without the direction of the Holy Spirit. Walking in step with the Spirit is a military term used to illustrate the following of a leader, literally in lockstep. It's exactly what we're called to do in the following of the Spirit's guiding. But there's a word of caution here that if we can be in step, we can also be out of step. The example would be grieving the Holy Spirit, getting out of fellowship, doing something that would turn our eyes off of the Spirit's leading to the point where we're forgetting where we're going for the source of bearing that fruit. The answer to this, I believe, has to be who we are in Christ. Right? Galatians 2.20. We've been hitting on it in the last two uh, sermons that Pastor Tim has preached. Actually, when we talked about it again uh, today, I thought, wow, this is going to be three times in a row. Someone's supposed to be hearing this. If, not, if no one else, than myself, because I'm loving it. Um, but the verse, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, no, I, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it is Christ in us working through the indwelling of the Spirit to produce the fruit and subsequently shine God's light to a watching world. Nothing in our flesh can, can ever and ought not ever can't produce anything good. More on that in a little bit here. Um, I'm not going to touch on verse 26 because the same theme of not being conceited, not being prideful is found at the end of the passage that we're looking at tonight. However, I do want to mention that in the writing of, the, the format of this writing, we have something very important. That's that Paul says, 
we ought not be conceited, we ought not be prideful, we ought not think too highly of ourselves sandwiching something, and that's uh, going to a believer about their sin, and that's carrying a brother or sister's burden. Anytime we have that in Scripture and God's Word, we have to be paying careful attention to what, first of all, the, the two pieces are that are sandwiching it, and then also what's in the middle. Um, so we have in verse 26, let us not become conceited, and then again in verse uh, 3 of chapter 6, um, to not deceive ourselves into thinking we're something more than what we aren't. So that's the only thing I really wanted to draw to your attention there, but it is important. It's in there for a reason. This brings us to my second point tonight, and that is how to navigate the dangers that do come up and that are associated with what happens when sin takes place in the church and what does that restoration, what does that forgiveness look like? Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul answers here the question of how to address sin in the church in a way that emulates Christ. And the more I've read and dug into these verses, and this one in particular, the more I've seen that there is a, a foundational theme here when it comes to restoration, and that is loving humility. Loving humility needs to be paramount in the entire process. Anytime you're even considering going and talking to a brother and sister about sin or maybe a sin you see them leading towards. Um, And we'll be talking about where that humility comes from here um, in a second. We know that based on 1 John 1.8 and Romans 3.23, we've all memorized that, or at least we should have, we have all sinned and frankly, we're all going to sin as long as we're in this flesh. So if you're sitting there thinking that you have missed an opportunity to uh, bear someone else's burden, just give it a day or a couple hours, and you'll probably get another opportunity to, to do that, to bear someone's burden. But we see in this verse the goal of helping a brother or sister caught in sin is in fact restoration. Key word there is restore. The meaning of the word restore in this verse is mending a ripped net or making new something that has been broken. One uh, commentary I looked at put it this way, that the the restoration process would be like a, uh, think of it as a, a car that's needing fixing or that's broken down. And if you as a believer are driving by someone on the highway and the, their life being their car is broken down and you know that it needs fixing, sometimes the first thing we'll do is we'll look at, one, we'll look at the brand to see if it's a Cadillac or a Ford and uh, that might determine whether or not we actually try to help them and fix them. Another one is we might actually look inside the car and see, hey, will that person help me if I help burden, if I help shoulder their burden? Um, when in reality, 
Paul doesn't qualify here who we should help. He says it's every person, either currently in sin that we're seeing or going down that road leading to sin, or someone that has come out of sin that you know full well, if they start going back to something again, they could backslide just as quickly, and it doesn't matter who you are or who that person is in this local body. If you see that, we're called to help, period. It does not matter the person's status. does not matter who, where that person is going or how they might help you. So just an interesting piece there, but the main thing here being restoration and the importance of that being the, the main goal here. Another thing to add here, when Paul says, you who are spiritual, keep, it says, you who are spiritual should restore him to spiritual gentleness. That is not referring to any kind of upper echelon in Christianity. It's not referring to the deacons and the elders. That's referring to anyone who is currently walking in the Spirit. So we know that if you're alive in the Spirit, then you're a Christian. We know if we're all then, as a Christian, supposed to be walking in the Spirit. And so when Paul says here, you who are spiritual, it's literally you who are walking in the Spirit. Does that happen, and is that happening all the time? No. It's not because of sin. Sometimes we get out of step. But that's what we're to be aiming for, that we're always to be walking in the Spirit, to be spiritual, and as such, we're always to be keeping our head on a swivel, looking for people, brothers and sisters, to be helping and encouraging on this journey, uh, specifically in this case related to sin. The question I ask when I hear something like this or see something like this in Scripture is, okay, how then should that be done? What does that practically look like? What's the practical implication of that here at First Baptist Church? And um, praise God for Scripture because you can go right to it and see here we have Exhibit A. And I would say Exhibit A in the case of restoration would be Peter, right? In Luke 22, where we have in the courtyard of the high priest, Peter denying Jesus three times. Um, and we know at least it was within eyesight. One of the gospels tells us that after the last rooster crowed, Jesus looked at Peter and Peter took off out of there in complete despair and, and, and weeping, having just denied his Savior But praise God, after that, we see that beautiful restoration of Jesus taking Peter back in, restoring him, and making him one of the leaders of the early church. But guys, I bet you anything, in fact, we know it in the scripture, that that was also part of Peter's testimony from there on out. Uh, This is what God can do. This is what his restoration looks like. If he can do it in my life, you bet he can do it in any of your lives. It's just something to keep in mind that if and when we're on the receiving end of someone coming to us about sin, then you bet God's going to use that in our testimony then to to help and comfort others as well. The other example I had here was the woman caught in adultery where Jesus called out those gathered to stone her, saying, you who are without sin, cast first stone. And then what did Jesus do? He 
gently took her under his wing and said, go and sin no more. Another example that I am so thankful, one, glad find, one, I'm glad that God finds us just where we are, but two, that he loves us enough not to leave us there. He takes us from there and says, walk with me, not in our strength, but in the Holy Spirit's strength. Verse 2 continues with, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This bearing one another's burdens is not easy and does not come naturally. Does not just mean helping someone financially in sickness or comforting someone in tragedy. In fact, in the context of verse 2, these burdens have to do with sin, as we've been talking about, and anything that would tempt a believer to fall back into sin. Listen to this summation of verse 2 by John Piper as I was reading up on it. Um, this perfectly kind of hit the nail on the head. The main point of the passage is this. Bear each other's burdens, specifically take on the trouble of helping people realize their sin and get it repaired. If it seems easy for you to help a person bear the burden of sickness or unemployment or the loss of a loved one or loneliness or rejection, but too hard for you to bear the burden of comforting a person because of sin, meditate on this thought. A sinful attitude or a sinful habit is much more harmful to a person than any of those other burdens. Therefore, if we really care about a person's ultimate welfare, we will confront them with their sin as well as comfort them in their trouble. I'm going to read that one more time because I think it's really important for us to let that sink in. <clears throat> a sinful attitude or a sinful habit is much more harmful to a person than any of those other burdens. Therefore, if we really care about a person's ultimate welfare, we will confront them with their sin as well as comfort them in their trouble. In confronting and comforting in humility and love, we are so fulfilling the law of Christ. The end of verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In Galatians 5, chapter 14, we see, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the law of Christ here, not talking about some additional law that was put on, but literally uh, was talking about the new covenant of love and restoration that Christ established in his death. All right, so um, I've seen with this, you could make it almost synonymous with, uh, with the law of Christ. You could say the example of Christ or the love of Christ. And it's this example of loving restoration that unbelievers should be seeing when they look in from the outside. However, all too often, all they see is pride and self-righteousness puffing itself up as we tear each other down. I would really want us to think about that as well, that when we, the church, are supposed to be the most loving, the most gentle, the most unselfish people, why? Because it's not us, it's all Christ working in us. So many times it's the church that is the most vicious. And when someone sins, it's the church that is the most 
tearing that person down um, when in fact Paul here is saying it's the opposite of that. We need to take that to heart, guys. We're looking to be the shining gospel when it comes to talking with people about um, their sin. Paul says in verse 3 to not think too highly of ourselves. Morally speaking, we amount to a zero. Seriously, I mean, we, we see it throughout Scripture. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We have no strength on our own to do anything good whatsoever. And so when we are looking at um, another brother or sister in sin, we need to just keep that in mind. We are looking to get them out of that sin through the grace of God but there's no grounds for selfish, um, self-righteousness within that. There's a, a saying my mom used to say that I remember when I was younger um, and then growing up, and it's one you guys have probably heard before, and it was anytime something particularly um, wicked or terrible was happening on TV or you hear about it on the radio or someone would tell us about it, and everyone would be saying, what a terrible thing that was, or how could that person ever do that? And then my mom would remind us, and something I still remember, but for grace, so go I, right? A lot of us remember that and know that saying, and it's a good one because we, without Christ and the goodness that he gives us, are literally one step away from making that same decision. And so when we are talking about um, even the the evil in this world, but particularly the, the sin in the church, we have Christ in us making us and helping us to make those correct decisions, but, but for the grace of God, we would be right there making the same choices. So something just that I have continually uh, taken on as well through the years, we can't do anything good on our own without the Spirit leading us and so we absolutely have no grounds for any of that self-righteousness when it comes to confronting someone on, in sin. Perhaps the best verse to meditate on when we're being tempted to think too much of our own self is going to be one we've probably memorized, and that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. I pray that we'd be grounded in the knowledge that this faith that produces fruit is not of ourselves, but in God alone through his son Jesus. And it's through that knowledge that we'll be able to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit by abiding in Christ. And bringing this all to a close, there's a couple of things I want us to kind of park on. I want to go back to the main question and try to answer it. How can we be the church in the world, and how can we shine God's light to a watching world? Based on what we've been reading from these passages, I'd like to say two things for each of them, one on walking in the Spirit, one on carrying each other's burdens and confronting people with sin. The first one, in living and walking in the Spirit, we can be confident that God will transform our minds and actions into the likeness of Jesus. 
unifying us in the gospel while letting preferences take a back seat to that which is eternal. Let me say that again. In living and walking the Spirit, we can be confident that God will transform our minds and actions into the likeness of Jesus, unifying us in the gospel while letting preferences take a back seat to that which is eternal. The gospel has a way of clarifying things when it comes to preferences, right? And certainly when it comes to walking in the Holy Spirit, getting back to Paul here contrasting the law the legalistic rules and requirements versus the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Tim reminded us, it's the inward character that produces those outward actions. When we get back to that, not only do preferences take a backseat, but anything that is temporal takes a backseat as well to that which is eternal that we should be running hard after. Secondly, in carrying each other's burdens by humbly and gently approaching each other about sin, we will shine the gospel of Jesus all the more clearly to a watching world for the eternal benefit of many and the praise of our Savior. People are watching. You hear it all the time. If you talk to any of your neighbors, if you talk to neighbors or uh, friends at school, friends at Sports games, particularly unbelievers, they almost always have something to say about the church community, especially if you're here in St. John's. I know my wife and I had the opportunity to talk to our neighbor, neighbors, and some of them didn't always have the most flattering things to say about um, our community, but part of that was because they didn't know us, uh, for one, but once they saw some people that go there, being Liz and I, they start, we, we got this impression, and we still see that, is that they start watching you very closely. And so we have to be cognitive of that fact that they are watching us, and it's not in us that they're going to be seeing or that they should be seeing, but it should be Christ living out in us through the Holy Spirit, particularly how we deal with each other, how we interact with each other. Is it going to be bite, backbiting selfishness that they see? Or is it going to be humble, gentle, loving interactions that are pointing each other and encouraging each other to follow Christ by walking according to the Holy Spirit? So that's what I want to leave you guys with here uh, today. I'm going to close in prayer and then uh, have Pastor Mike uh, lead us in a song, O Church Arise by the Gettys. Uh, I want to read just the last verse of that song because I believe it is perfect for Galatians and in general the church. And it goes like this. So spirit come, put strength in every stride, give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is working in us to complete the good work you have started for your glory and that we can be a part of that. Father, I just pray that in humility, in love, 
we would encourage each other, that we would challenge each other, Father, that we would be constantly looking for ways to spread the gospel. I thank you for the pastors allowing us to um, go through this series that looks at the gospel in every area of the church. I pray that we would continue these conversations, Lord. I thank you for every member here. I pray that we would just continue to grow uh, in the grace of Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.